mandatory sentencing requires that offenders serve a predefined term for certain crimes, commonly serious and violent offenses. Judges are bound by law, these sentences are produced through the legislature, not the judicial system. They are instituted to expedite the sentencing process and limit the possibility of irregularity of outcomes due to judicial discretion. Mandatory sentences are typically given to people who are convicted of certain serious and or violent crimes, and require a prison sentence. Mandatory sentencing laws vary across nations, they are more prevalent in common law jurisdictions because civil law jurisdictions usually prescribe minimum and maximum sentences for every type of crime in explicit laws. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mandatory sentencing laws often target moral vices, such as alcohol, sex, drugs, and crimes that threaten a person's livelihood. The idea is that there are some crimes that are so heinous, there is no way to accept the offender back into the general population without first punishing them sufficiently. Some crimes are viewed as serious enough to require an indefinite removal from society by a life sentence, or sometimes capital punishment. It is viewed as a public service to separate these people from the general population, as it is assumed that the nature of the crime or the frequency of violation supersedes the subjective opinion of a judge. Remedying the irregularities in sentencing that arise from judicial discretion is supposed to make sentencing more fair and balanced. In Australia and the United Kingdom, sentencing has been heavily influenced by judicial idiosyncrasies. Individual judges have a significant effect on the outcome of the case, sometimes leading the public to believe that a sentence reflects more about the judge than the offender. Subsequently, creating stricter sentencing guidelines would promote consistency and fairness in the judicial system. Mandatory sentences are also supposed to serve as a general deterrence for potential criminals and repeat offenders, who are expected to avoid crime because they can be certain of their sentence if they are caught. This is the reasoning behind the tough-on-crime policy. United States federal juries are generally not allowed to be informed of the mandatory minimum penalties that may apply if the accused is convicted because the jury's role is limited to a determination of guilt or innocence. However, defense attorneys sometimes have found ways to impart this information to juries. For instance, it is occasionally possible, on cross-examination of an informant who faced similar charges, to ask how much time he was facing. It is sometimes deemed permissible because it is a means of impeaching the witness. However, in at least one state court case in Idaho, it was deemed impermissible. Notably, capital punishment has been mandatory for murder in a certain number of jurisdictions, including the United Kingdom until 1957 and Canada until 1961. History. United States. Throughout U.S. history, prison sentences were primarily founded upon what is known as discretionary sentencing. Leading up to this period of time, sentencing practices were largely criticized due to the discretionary applications used in sentencing. The assessment for sentencing was determined by three separate decisions, one, policy decisions, two, factual decisions, and, three, decisions applying policy decisions to particular facts. In review of these policies regarding the applications of sentencing, the policy decisions are those that dictate what considerations should affect punishment. The second, which is factual determinations, are the means by which a judge determines whether to apply a particular policy to an offender. The third decision judges make in discretionary schemes is how to apply the sentencing policies to the particular facts. This authority was applied by the judge under the discretionary sentencing system as historically practiced.
It was not until the mid-20th century that mandatory sentencing was implemented. In short, the difference between mandatory and discretionary sentencing systems lies in policy and application decisions. Now that historical practices of sentencing have been introduced, it is just as important to outline examples in reference to, 1, policy decisions, 2, factual decisions, and, 3, decisions applying policy versus decisions to particular facts. Policy decisions, policy guidelines that determine what should be acknowledged in an individual's sentencing criteria. For example, one judge might consider a reduction in time to be served versus a judge who intends to exercise the fullest extent of the law in reference to the crime committed. Factual decisions, a review of details that would enable particular policies to be applied at the discretion of the assigned judge. Hypothetically consider two or more individuals who attempt to commit a crime using a deadly weapon. Assume these individuals reach their destination point, where they plan to commit such a crime. Then the one individual who is primarily carrying the weapon takes it out to threaten another individual and waves it about, but is suddenly spooked enough that the weapon is dropped. While the other individual who accompanied the perpetrator decides to pick up the weapon, wave it about and even inflicts force of use with the weapon in order to attempt or commit the crime. Their actions would result in punishment as a part of the sentencing process, regardless of the type of weapon in question. The first, individual in fact waved the weapon, but the second, waved and inflicted force of use of the weapon. Therefore, the two individuals in question regarding the same crime would receive two separate sentences. Decisions applying policy versus decisions to particular facts, this form of application is the core of discretionary sentencing. It allows for sentencing to be tailored to an individual. For example, consider a minor juvenile who has committed a crime that would allow for a lengthy sentencing period, but because the individual is a minor the assigned judge can exercise discretion and decrease the sentence to be served versus applying the full length of the sentencing as outlined in policy and the facts associated with the crime. Over time, the United States had undergone developmental growth in implementation of laws, sentencing guidelines and monumental transition points in time. Beginning in the early 1900s, the United States began to assess its role on the use of drugs, their purpose and the responsibilities within the law. During this time in 1914, opiate drug use outside of medical purpose was prohibited. It was not until 1930 that marijuana would reach the same platform as opiates, prohibiting use. This further led to stiffer regulations, even though the use of marijuana was not believed to evoke violent tendencies as previously suggested in earlier years, but this level of awareness had not reached public acknowledgement. Which further led to the implementation of sentencing guidelines in reference to drug use as well as sales consisting of opiates primarily, heroin and morphine, but also to include marijuana. The sentencing guidelines outlined applied to the use and sales of drugs. However, during this time discretionary sentencing was actively practiced. Therefore, the individuals who were guilty of using such drugs versus the sale of such use typically resulted in different sentences. Mandatory sentencing and increased punishment were enacted when the United States Congress passed the Boggs Act of 1951. The acts made a first-time cannabis possession offense a minimum of 2 to 10 years with a fine up to $20,000. However, in 1970, the United States Congress repealed mandatory penalties for cannabis offenses. With the passage of the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 Congress enacted different mandatory minimum sentences for drugs, including marijuana. First offense, 2 to 5 years. Second offense, 5 to 10 years. The Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986 is the one act known for shaping America. The implementation of this act has had many profound effects in the legal system, as we know it today. This act led to a drug-free initiative regarding an individual's employment, a drug-free workplace and certification requirements for employers, and a drug-free environment for those who receive government benefits regarding low-income recipients and their housing.
This act further addresses interventions regarding illegal sales of imports, the ability to overtake one's assets, if an individual is found guilty of distribution. The act also implemented the first laws surrounding money laundering, which also led to the exposure of professional dealers. Those found guilty of distribution were sentenced as outlined. 5 grams of crack versus 500 grams of powder cocaine resulted in a minimum sentencing of 5 years. 50 grams of crack versus 5,000 grams of powder cocaine resulted in a minimum sentencing of 10 years. 50 grams of powder cocaine imported resulted in no mandatory sentence. Separate from each state's own courts, federal courts in the United States are guided by the federal sentencing guidelines. When a guideline sentencing range is less than the statutory mandatory minimum, the latter prevails. Under the Controlled Substances Act, prosecutors have great power to influence a defendant's sentence and thereby create incentives to accept a plea agreement. In particular, defendants with prior drug felonies are often subject to harsh mandatory minimums, but the prosecutor can exercise his discretion to not file prior felony information. Then the mandatory minimum will not be applied. Safety Valve was created in 1994 to reduce mandatory sentencing for drug offenders under the following provisions. The defendant does not have more than one criminal history point, as determined under the sentencing guidelines. The defendant did not use violence or credible threats of violence or possess a firearm or other dangerous weapon, or induce another participant to do so, in connection with the offense. The offense did not result in death or serious bodily injury to any person. The defendant was not an organizer, leader, manager, or supervisor of others in the offense, as determined under the sentencing guidelines and was not engaged in a continuing criminal enterprise, as defined in Section 408 of the Controlled Substances Act, and not later than the time of the sentencing hearing, the defendant has truthfully provided to the government all information and evidence the defendant has concerning the offense or offenses that were part of the same course of conduct or of a common scheme or plan, but the fact that the defendant has no relevant or useful other information to provide or that the government is already aware of the information shall not preclude a determination by the court that the defendant has complied with this requirement. In October 2011 a report was issued to assess the impact of United States v. Booker mandatory minimum penalties on federal sentencing by the United States Sentencing Commission. In 2013, United States Attorney General Eric H. Holder Jr. announced that the Justice Department would follow a new policy restricting mandatory minimum sentences in certain drug cases. Prosecutions dropped, drug enforcement agent morale dropped, and fentanyl and heroin overdoses soared, reported the Washington Post in 2019. In Elaine v. United States, 2013, the Supreme Court held that increasing a sentence past the mandatory minimum requirement must be submitted by a jury and found factual beyond a reasonable doubt. It increases the burden on the prosecutor to prove that the sentence is necessary for the individual crime by requiring that a mandatory minimum sentence be denied for the defendant unless they fulfill certain criteria. Attorney General Holder held that the charges placed on an individual should reflect the uniqueness of the case and consideration in assessing and fairly representing his or her given conduct. This is supposed to prevent recidivism. Criminal justice advocates in the United States argue that mandatory minimum sentences are a major cause of the removal of the bottom income half to quartile of its population from the general public. As part of police targeting and surveillance and often harsh sentencing, mandatory sentencing often is proposed as fairness by those unfamiliar with the penal systems in the U.S. Mandatory sentencing still has not been linked to other areas such as racial profiling, a 700% increase in U.S. prison incarceration rates, zero tolerance and prison growth at the expense of employment, housing, education, family support and quality of life. The U.S. state of Florida has a 1020 life mandatory sentence law regarding sentences for the use of a firearm during the commission of another crime, and many PSA posters were created after the law was passed, which coined the slogan use a gun, and you're done.
it gave a minimum mandatory sentence of 10 years if the offender pulls a gun, but does not fire a shot, 20 years if at least one shot is fired, and 25 years to life if the offender shoots someone. Mandatory death sentence. In the United States, mandatory death sentences were determined to be unconstitutional in 1976, following the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Woodson v. North Carolina. They were mainly used for murder and assault by convicts serving life sentences. In Canada until 1961, murder was punishable only by death, provided that the offender was a sane adult, and until September 1, 1999, the National Defense Act specified a mandatory death sentence for certain acts, cowardice, desertion, unlawful surrender, if done traitorously.